This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of March 7th through 11th, 2022. And uh, on... Monday, March 7th, we have the contestants Clay Cooper, an SAT and ACT tutor from Las Vegas, Nevada, Maureen O'Neill, an executive assistant from Rye Beach, New Hampshire, and Margaret Shelton, a homemaker from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose four-day cash winnings total $79,700. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, mountains, French cooking terms, three-letter initialisms, presidential rhyme time, from book to TV, and phrase farming. The first clue they went to in the presidential rhyme time category was the $400 level, and it's uh, Gerald's Bladed Weapons. I have recently been watching The Witcher, mm-hmm. and the main character, the, the, the title Witcher, is named Geralt. And so when, I, when the clue came up, I saw that, and I was like, Geralt's Bladed Weapons? What does this have to do with presidents? Mm-hmm. Uh, needless to say, I did not get the, the correct response, which was Ford's swords, because it is, mm-hmm. of course, Gerald. Gerald Ford. Yes. Although Gerald Ford's real name, well, I shouldn't say real name, but given name, was Leslie King. Hmm. I'd forgotten that. I was so delighted with Maureen's not what they intended, but acceptable answer at the $600 level of presidential rhyme yeah. time. The clue was Eisenhower's scares, and Maureen rang in and said, what are Ikes yikes? And yikes. they had to take it. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's a good answer for that. It's a great answer. I love it. Um, yeah, they were looking for Dwight's frights, but Ikes yikes is much better, I think. It's, it's very good. <laughs> uh, oh, they all struggled with... Um, this French cooking term, which I believe I included in a quiz at one point. At the $800 level, the clue, clue was a silent X comes at the end of this sautéed vegetable mix seen here, thought to be named for a duke whose cook popularized it. And they had a, you know, a picture of uh, a mixture of vegetables cooking. Margaret tried what is brunoise and Clay tried what is Bordeaux. And it came to Margaret after she had missed it. And so she sort of filled it in with Ken uh, that that's a mirepoix. It is indeed. And yes, it was. It was in one of your quizzes, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mirepoix is uh, onion, celery, and carrot. And mm-hmm. those three form sort of the aromatic base of a lot of French recipes. I do recall that from your quiz. Really can't go wrong starting with a mirepoix. That's how I make all of my favorite cakes. <laughs> okay, you can't go wrong. You're a boss. Daily Double number one is in the book to TV category at the $400 level. It's pick number 12. Uh, Clay finds it. He's been going up and down. He, he started out pretty rough, but he finds this one. Uh, he is at negative 400. Margaret's at 600. Maureen's at 3,000. And he wagers uh, 1,000. He gets the clue a nonfiction book subtitled The Birth, High Times, and Corruption of Atlantic City, inspired this HBO series. And he gets that correct with what is Boardwalk Empire. Mm-hmm. So he gets on the plus side. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Margaret is at 3,200. Maureen is in the lead at 6,600. 
and Clay is at 2,600. We get the double Jeopardy categories, the ideas of March, why is the second letter, biographies, towers, single name celebrities, and that's just science, man. We ended up leaving five clues on the board in this one. It's a lot of clues left it's on the board. It's a lot to leave on the board, yeah. I don't really know what was going on there either, because... We had some triple stumpers, but... And some incorrect responses. It just... I don't know. I yeah. Don't know. I don't know what took so long. Uh-huh. At least they knew to head for the, the bottom row. That's true. To, to get all those clues out of the way, yeah. If you don't know, it came up in the, in the towers category at the $400 level, that... Big Ben in London is the bell, not the structure that houses the bell. That's right. The the structure that houses the bell is the Elizabeth Tower. They were they were asking for uh, the name of the bell inside the Elizabeth Tower, and yep. uh, and Maureen knew it. But worth knowing if you're if you're a trivia person, um, because that's kind of a common misconception. Yep. And also, we have talked about you can check out the Big Ben Twitter account. Oh yes. <laughs> Yes, that, that, yes. that chimes the hour. <laughs> I guess I should talk about the second Daily Double first of the round mm-hmm. now, because uh, Clay found it on the very first pick, and it was in the why is the second letter category at the $1,200 level. And the scores were all the same as Kyle just said. And Clay made it a true Daily Double and got the clue deposits of this mineral make up the White Sands of White Sands National Park. He struggled for it. He ended up guessing what is mica, which, of course, Y is not the second letter of mica. But if you're having a hard time finding something that fits, I guess, better to say something than nothing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe he didn't remember, was hoping that maybe it was spelled with a Y as the second letter. Um, Anyway, that's not correct. It's gypsum. Gypsum. Yep. And daily double number three is in That's Just Science Man at the $1,200 level. It's pick number 23. Margaret finds it. She's at 6,800. Maureen's at 10,200. And Clay is at negative 400. Ken says you're about 3,500 off the lead. And Margaret says, and I guess I better bet 3,500. Which she does. She gets the clue. Before moving to Gemini and Taurus, the summer solstice used to be in this constellation. Hence the name of a geographic line. And she gets it correct with what is cancer? Or the Tropic of Cancer. Mm-hmm. So she moves into the lead there. Yeah. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, uh, Clay's dropped into the red. He's at negative 2,400. Uh, so he will not be participating in final Jeopardy. Uh, Maureen's at 10,200. Margaret's at 12,300. And we have the final Jeopardy category, Central America. And the clue, a small river connects these two lakes that combine form close to 10% of their country's area. Neither of the contestants got this one correct. Uh, Maureen tried what are Guada and Mala. It's a good answer. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta just go for something if you don't know. She wagered 8,000. That's too big of a wager for this situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it drops her down to 2,200. Margaret came up with what are Nicaragua and, but didn't come up with a second one. Lake Nicaragua is correct. Uh, The second one is Lake Managua. So one shares its name with the country and the other with the capital. 
Margaret wagered everything, uh, which drops her to zero and gives the win to Maureen. Um, Mm -hmm. If Margaret had made only a cover bet, she would have stayed above Maureen, uh, where Maureen actually landed. Although Maureen should have expected Margaret to wager pretty big and so should have probably wagered smaller than she did. So the, the wagering strategy was not ideal here. Um, yeah, just kind of across the board. Yeah. But Maureen gets the win uh, and uh, is back with us on Tuesday. Yep. Which means uh, Margaret's run ends at four wins. So on Tuesday, we have the contestants Gundeep Singh, an analyst from Franklin Lakes, New Jersey. Miranda Wilson, an occupational therapist from Fayetteville, West Virginia. And Maureen O'Neill, an executive assistant from Rye Beach, New Hampshire, whose one-day cash winnings total $2,200. We have the Jeopardy round categories, Anthropologist's Dictionary, the At Least Five Labors of Hercules, Reality Show Spinoffs, More Than One Meaning, Oceans, and Eleven. Did we have a whole quiz about the labors of Hercules, or was it just a question? Might have been just a question. Uh, it was a question to name them. Yeah. You get one, one point each. It was a question on my, like, Greek mythology Yes, overview, that's right. Which would have helped if you were, uh, if you remembered that. Yeah. By and large, I did. So, thanks. Nice. Yeah. Uh, nice. The contestants did fine with that whole category as well. Every, every single one of those got answered uh, correctly on the first try. Yep. At the, at the $600 level of 11, we have... Our favorite movie on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, this religious epic from 1959 was the first film to win 11 Academy Awards. So it, it fits the 11 category in that it's it won 11 Academy Awards. Uh, Miranda tried What is the Ten Commandments? That is not correct. And Maureen got the rebound with Ben-Hur. 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 It's been a long time. Everything comes back to Ben-Hur. One would have thought that perhaps we had broken ourselves of that. No, we have not. We won't. Ben-Hur will always recur. Mm-hmm. Listener, as if you've been missing Ben-Hur content, now it's back. So Yes. You're welcome. The people demand it, I, I assume. Yes, that sounds right. With all <laughs> uh, of the engagement we've had on social media. <laughs> we, we, got some nice, we got some nice shout-outs on Twitter recently. Yeah, Thank it's you. true. It's true. Thank you, those of those of you who have who have shouted us out on Twitter, and uh, I can't remember off the top of my head right now who who tagged us with their with their hope that the Lego Jeopardy set uh, goes into production. <laughs> if that was something I could control, I would make it happen, my friend. Like, <laughs> yeah, just give us uh, give us a few minutes. We'll yeah. we'll get on that for sure. For sure, we have we have oh, a yeah. lot of control. I, I don't. I don't think. I, I think our listeners know our, our our level of power and maybe just think we would be interested, which I am. I'm very interested in a in a Lego Jeopardy set. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Daily double number one is in the oceans category at the eight hundred dollar level, and Gundeep finds it as the tenth pick. He has six hundred at this point. Maureen's at a thousand. Miranda's in the red with negative four hundred. And he makes it a true daily double. He does not wager the maximum. Uh, so just 600 here. And he gets the clue. These islands off Florida have ocean cliffs a mile deep. Don't know about that theory that the name is from Spanish for shallow sea. 
He tries, what are the keys? Uh, but that is incorrect. Uh, the Bahamas. Bahamar is the possible etymology there, hmm. which I didn't know. I did not either. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Maureen's in the lead with 4,200. Miranda has 3,800. Gundip has 2,600. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. Ancient warfare. Poetry fill in the blank. 14-letter words. First and last alphabetically, uh, you have to name the group of which these items are the first and last alphabetically. People in science and the Oscar. Gars with R in quotation marks. Gar. <laughs> it's all about pirate movies. Yeah. The uh, $1,600 clue of ancient warfare, uh, I had to know because, well, for a variety of reasons, but because my like Facebook advertising algorithm, for some reason, decided that I need to know that the movie 300 is now streaming on Netflix. <laughs> um, the clue is stymied by a small force. The invading Persians won this battle only after a Greek trader showed them a way around the pass. Uh, that's Thermopylae, which is what the, the movie 300 is about. The 300 Spartans. I mean, I'll just say it's a good movie. It's very entertaining. I'll agree with that. Not worthwhile if you're looking for historical content or realism. It's fine. To, in, in the algorithm's defense... I am glad I know that 300 is streaming because I probably will watch it. Yeah. But it, ha it has been flooding my timeline. I, I, I cannot say the same. <laughs> I don't know why, though. It's not like I've been doing searches for Spartans or Thermopylae or 300 or anything like that. It's weird. We had a triple stumper in the first and last category at the $1,600 level. Das Rheingold and Siegfried. That's the ring cycle, which yes. th there are only four operas in the ring cycle. So that's kind of a small group to pick from <laughs> when you're going like a first and last alphabetically. It's like, well, you've, you've given half of the list at that point. Yeah. So maybe that was throwing them off. But they'd also just had a Miss Daily Double at the at the level above where the guess was not specific enough. And I wonder if that spooked them. That might have. Speaking of um, that, yeah, I'll go, I'll go ahead and jump there. That's Daily Double number two. Uh, Gandeep found it. It was at uh, pick number 14, the $1,200 level of uh, alphabetically first and last. Uh, he's at 6,200. Maureen's at 8,200. Miranda's at 7,800. It's close game. And he wagers 2,000. And the clue is Argon and Xenon. And he goes straight to what are elements. But there are elements before Argon and after Xenon. Like, Eterbium is after Xenon. Mm-hmm. And uh, aluminum. Yeah. Comes before Argon. Those are the noble gases. Those are specifically the noble gases. Yeah. So I, I did sort of wonder when they when they didn't venture a guess on on the ring cycle, whether they were concerned about... Because like, I thought Wagner operas, and then I thought, mm, it might you might have to say the ring cycle, but... I was pretty sure they were both ring cycle operas. I, d I don't really know Wagner operas outside of the ring cycle. Hmm. Well, if I were doing the deep dive this week, perhaps I would do the, the ring cycle. Hmm. But I'm hmm. not. Yeah, no, you're not. If I were doing a deep dive this week, perhaps I would do Rudyard Kipling, except except I won't, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose anyway, we'll find out. Uh, yeah. Uh, Daily Double number three is in the poetry fill-in-the-blank category at the $1,600 level. 
and Miranda finds it at the 25th pick. She has 6,600 at this point. Maureen's at 9,400. Gundeep is at 8,600. Miranda wagers 2,400 and gets the clue. Kipling, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a blank, blank, blank. Uh, that's blank, comma, blank, blank, exclamation point. Uh, and she tries what is man one day. Uh, so close. Um, you know, maybe she's heard it at some point or, you know, sort of makes a, makes a reasonable guess from context. Uh, you'll be a man, my son is the correct response Mm -hmm. here, um, from the end of Kipling's if. Yeah. Yeah. So that drops her down some. It's a tough break. It is. It is. And this, this game was still pretty close. Like they, they all had a, a little bit of rough, rough patches, um, throughout the game. So going into, Final Jeopardy. Maureen's at 9,400, Miranda's at 6,200, and Gundeep is at 8,600. The Final Jeopardy category is Broadway musicals and The Clue. Characters Mark, Roger, and Maureen in this musical were inspired by Marcello, Rodolfo, and Musetta in another work. Miranda got it correct with What is Rent, which we have talked about a number of times, is based on La Boheme by Puccini. Yep. Uh, that is correct. She wagered 6000 Gandeep guessed what is Bye Bye Birdie, <laughs> which is a musical. Mm-hmm. Have I expressed on the podcast how much I hate that musical? <laughs> it is awful um, and annoying, and I hate it. No, you've mostly told us how... Wait, you, which one did... Yeah, bye, bye Bye Birdie, we have not talked about. We've talked about The Music Man. Oh, The Music Man, I just... I was Marcellus and the Music Man, which meant I had to sing Shapoopy, which is like the worst, well, not the worst song, but it's one of the worst songs. I just, mm-hmm. I don't care for it. Bye Bye Birdie I, is just, every, everything about it irritates me. I don't, it just, mm, yeah, mm, I just don't like it. Um, so uh, he wagered everything but a dollar, uh, and that's incorrect. So he drops to one dollar. Uh, but Maureen got it correct with what is rent, because of course... Uh, her name is Maureen, and so she needs to know everything about every Maureen in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the expectation. And she wagered everything, which meant if she'd gotten it wrong, if this had been a triple stumper, Miranda would have won with $200. Mm-hmm. But she got it right, so she doubles up. Yeah. Bold wagers here this mm-hmm. week. Yes, indeed. So on Wednesday, uh, we have the contestants Sally Biederman an actor and museum educator originally from Seattle, Washington, Shelley Vineyard, an environmental advocate from Washington, D.C., and Maureen O'Neill, an executive assistant from Rye Beach, New Hampshire, whose two-day cash winnings at this point total 21000 And our Jeopardy! categories are in recent news, the Apollo program, literary character spoilers, furniture, three-letter movie titles, and Cat Got Your Tongue with Cat in quotation marks. We also left a couple on the board here. We've been leaving some on the board. I Yeah. From the edit, I mean, obviously, they edit out dead time a lot. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me because Ken doesn't read slowly, but I just, I don't know, I guess we just, the number of triple stumpers, that's kind of like maximum time, I guess. Yeah. I think the $400 clue of the Apollo program was a triple stumper because, I'll explain, that the clue was a combat pilot during the Korean War. About 20 years later, he became the second man on the moon. They showed a picture 
of that man in his like official NASA picture, like portrait. That's Buzz Aldrin. Probably, mm-hmm. probably if they'd shown the picture of him punching the guy in the face for for like accusing him of of faking the moon landing, I think we would have got it from that for sure. Yeah, <laughs> which is a real just baller move. I, t- I, t- I try not to advocate violence, but if it's a you know if it's a teaching method, mm-hmm. if it teaches that guy to stop being an idiot, then okay. Also, if people had listened to my deep dive on the on the Apollo program, on the Apollo program, yeah, at, at least one of these would not have been a triple stumper. It turned out the whole category is triple stumpers. But like the eight hundred dollar clue, the powerful rocket with a planetary name, or this powerful rocket with a planetary name, lifted the manned Apollo missions toward the moon. Shelley guessed what is Mercury. That's a that was a separate separate mission altogether. But those are the Saturn V rockets, which I talked mm-hmm. about. Yeah, I am. I'm working on uh, summer road trip plans for this summer, and we will be uh, making a stop at the Kennedy Space Center. Ooh. I guess I can brush up. There or before there. Yeah, they're not going to quiz you when you come in. Um, Daily Double number one is in the literary character spoilers category at the $600 level, and Sally finds it. She's at $1,400. Maureen's at $4,400. Shelly's at $1,000. She wagers everything and gets the clue. She is promised to Robert Candler, but the man also called Lord Greystoke asks, if you were free, would you marry me? Yep, in a later book. Uh, Sally has no idea. Lord Greystoke is Tarzan, so that is Jane Porter. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, Maureen is at 3,800, Shelley is at 3,200, and Sally is at 200. And we get the double Jeopardy categories. So that's what they looked like. From the state song, three consecutive consonants, dynasties of China, names in pop culture, and eponymous body parts. Dynasties of China came up uh, just a couple weeks ago with Anarchy. Mm, yes. Yes, indeed. Which I will I will say helped me. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. There were a lot of triple stumpers mm-hmm. this game. There were. Right? 16 triple stumpers. And, and we left six clues on the board. I felt like this was a harder board than average. I don't know. I mean, yeah. You know, playing along at home, I I didn't. I, I was I was below my my average score. I'm below my average score like about half the time. But that's how is that works? Is that how averages work? <laughs> no, not exactly necessarily. <laughs> sure, um, <laughs> sure. You can have ex- you can have your outliers. Yeah. Um. But uh. But yeah. I uh. Was, it was a rough game for them, but I think it, it may have been the board. It, the board as much as the, as the you know, more than the players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Although John Nash comes up all the time. Jeffrey yeah. writers love asking about John Nash. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, that's what they look like category at the $2,000 level. They showed the picture mm-hmm. of him. This mathematician, a 1994 Nobel Prize winner in economics, became the world's most famous game theorist. When you hear game theory, think John Nash. Yep. Game theory, John Nash. That's right. That that's the Pavlov there. Mm-hmm. All right, daily double number two is in that. So that's what they looked like category at the fifth pick. Uh, Shelley uncovers it. It's at the eight hundred dollar level. Uh, she has fifty two hundred to Maureen's sixty six hundred and Sally's two hundred. She wagers four thousand. It's a 
good, strong wager. And gets the clue. After a lifetime of farming, this woman was nearly 80 when a collector bought 15 of her artworks in 1938. Shelley cannot come up with a name. Um, it's Grandma Moses. Yeah. Yeah. So that drops her down some. But she was able to make a bit of a recovery over the rest of the round. And Daily Double number three is in the Dynasties of China category at the $1,600 level. Sally finds it at pick number 22... Uh, she is at 1,000, Maureen is at 6,600, Shelly is at 8,800, and she only wagers 500. Gets the clue, living during a time of conflict in the Zhou Dynasty gave Sun Tzu plenty of material to write this treatise. And she gets correct with what is the art of war. So, at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Maureen has the lead with 9,000, but Shelly's made it up to 8,800. Sally's at 1,500, and we have the final Jeopardy category, Epitaphs, and the clue, her epitaph, from a 1925 poem by her, ends, she knows that her dust is very pretty. Dust was in another she wrote for herself. So Sally guesses who is Edna St. Vincent Millay. We've had a lovely deep dive about Edna St. Vincent Millay. She would have been my guess. But she is not correct. Sally is uh, Sally is wagered 100, so that drops her to 1,400. Shelly has tried who is Plath. Uh, that is a good guess in many ways, but doesn't fit timeline-wise, I think. No, it could. It could. It just yeah. has to... Yeah, this person just... I, I, I saw 1925 and was like, well, Plath lived much... Uh, you know, she died much, much after that, but... This person mm-hmm. just has to have been writing by 1925. So that, right. could, that could fit. That could fit. Yeah. Um, but it's not correct in this case. Uh, Shelley's wagered 4,000. That drops her down to 4,800. And Maureen has written who Dorothy Parker. Uh, she forgot the is, but that does not matter. Uh, I just I just think it's funny. And she, you know, sort of shakes her head as Ken comes to her and says, not a poet. Uh, Dorothy Parker was a poet. Among other things. There's actually a really, really great Dorothy Parker poem that I used to sometimes like include like on the back of the like the Christmas bulletin Hmm. um, from the point of view of like, like the maid servant at the inn, you know, in the in the Christmas story, you know, where there's where there's no room at the inn. Anyway, uh, so yeah, Dorothy Parker was a poet. I, I would never have thought of her for this, but Maureen did. And Ken notes that she once joked that her preferred epitaph for herself would be, excuse my dust. Maureen's wagered everything, which is about the correct thing to do in this situation, actually. Uh, with with Shelley only $200 behind her and, you know, having the lead, um, you know, she needs to make a cover bet and that's almost everything. So, you know, you may as well maximize, I guess. Uh, so that brings her up to 18000 and gives her her third win. Yeah. And on Thursday, we have the contestants Hannah Langoff, a medical editor from Chicago, Illinois, Carson LaPerry, an engineer from Beaverton, Oregon, and Maureen O'Neill, an executive assistant from Rye Beach, New Hampshire, whose three-day cash winnings total $39,000. We have the Jeopardy round categories, European history, sports, Good for the Stew, U.S. Military Branches, Suburbs of Chicago, and Verbs. Now, 
Hannah only got one of those suburbs of Chicago clues. I wonder how she feels about that, because I know any time there was a Colorado clue, I was like, oh, I need to get this to represent. Yeah. wonder if it irked her. Mm-hmm. Similarly, you know, anything that, uh, I, there wasn't a whole lot with a, with a connection to my hometown in the, in the game that I played. I did have one, I had, I had there was a New York question, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. Of course. To be expected. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think pe- people do feel sort of possessive over the things that they have, uh, the clues that they have a personal connection to. Oh, yeah. yeah it's like, no, I'm, I'm That's supposed mine. to know that. It has my name at the top. That's right. There, there's no wrong way to know a thing. And I knew the $800 level of the sports category because I've watched a whole lot of BoJack Horseman. <laughs> Uh, the clue there is no horse had run the Kentucky Derby in under two minutes until this triple crown winner performed the feat in 1973. Maureen tried who is Seattle slew, um, but that's not correct. Hannah got the rebound with Secretariat um, and the, the animated show Bojack Horseman uh, has like this this uh, horseman guy uh, who as a protagonist, who's like a washed up like TV actor. Uh, who dreams of his, like, great dramatic role as Secretariat. <laughs> In, the, like, the biopic? Yeah. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yes. <laughs> he really wants to play Secretariat. So that's why I was like, it's gotta be Secretariat! <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, Seattle Sioux, I think, was also a 1970s Triple Crown winner. I think Seattle Sioux was around that time. But yeah, Secretariat is the the one. Yeah. My, my knowledge of horse racing is minimal and mostly acquired from cartoons. <laughs> my, my knowledge of horse racing has increased significantly over the past few months because I think like I, I had like a couple of interactions with Rowan Ward, who, if we uh, recall, was in the last game of season 37, I think. Uh, against Madame Odeo. But they are also, like, they, they work in horse racing uh, in the industry. And I guess Twitter, like, thought, hmm, he follows one person who does horse racing. That means he wants to see all of the horse racing stuff. So <laughs> apparently there was, just a couple weeks ago, there was a, there like, in the last couple weeks, there's been a big, big hullabaloo with one of the major owners and there's a big drama going on in horse racing right now with like lawsuits and 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 like suspensions and stuff which i would have no way of knowing if twitter weren't like here get this shoved in your face <laughs> anyway yeah the algorithm is awesome the algorithm is so weird um twitter has decided that our um our podcast twitter account is really interested in like the ins and outs of like med student life. Hmm. I don't know why. I have no idea. Because we follow one med student. Yeah. I bet. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. Yeah. Probably. Daily Double Number One is in the US military branches category. Carson finds it at the 15th, 15th pick. It's at the $800 level. He has 3,800 at this point. Uh, Hannah's at zero. Maureen's at negative 1,000. Uh, he wagers 1,800. 
and gets the clue. This term for a U.S. Naval Academy cadet comes from a 17th century practice of placing experienced sailors in the center of a vessel. He struggles with this a little bit. He ends up saying, what is that? Corpsman? Um, that's not correct. Uh, midshipman is what they're looking for. Yep. So that drops him down. Uh, although, you know, he's, you know, he, he's the only one with any money. So he's, he's still at a distinct advantage, even after missing it. Um, at the end of the Jeopardy round, he's still in the lead with 5,000. Maureen has 2,800. Hannah has 1,400. And our double Jeopardy categories are booze in books. That's some of my favorite things. (laughs) Vaccines, political geography, starts and ends with the same vowel, women make passes, and guys who wear glasses. They showed pictures of all the guys who wore glasses, which is nice. Yeah. I have no earthly idea how... I knew what the border region in Cyprus is called. The Green Line? The Green Line. It was just there for me. It was a triple stumper, and I was like, the Green Line. And then I was like, I have no way of knowing that. Why am I Why am I venturing a guess? But it was the Green Line. That's funny. Yeah. Green Green also came into my mind, and I don't know if it's just like because I was like, ah, oh, name a, name a, name a, a color. Or if it's because I've actually heard that. I'm sure I've heard it at some point, but... Yeah. Yeah, I had the same kind of feeling about it. We had a triple stumper at the $400 level with all three contestants uh, making wrong guesses. Oh, yeah. In the vaccines category, uh, the clue there was prior to the vaccine, three to four million people a year in the U.S. got this disease, also called rubiola. Uh, Hannah tried what is German measles. Maureen tried what are the mumps. Uh, Carson tried what is chicken pox. Uh, But rubiola is just regular measles. Yep, indeed. Uh, Daily Double number two is in the booze and books category, Uh, and uh, this one should be a little bit familiar, because Emily talked about the Henrys in a deep Mm -hmm. dive. Uh, Maureen finds it. It's pick number six in the round. She's at 5,200. Carson's at 5,400. Hannah's at 3,000. She wagers 2,000. Gets a clue in Henry IV Part Two. This jovial fellow attributes to Sherry a warming of the blood that illumineth the face. Uh, and that is Falstaff. Maureen gets it correct, which mm-hmm. I also guessed because I was like, well, Falstaff's a jovial fellow and I don't know anything else. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Daily Double number three is in political geography, uh, also at the $2,000 level. Carson finds this one. It's the 18th pick. He's got 9,000 at this point to Maureen's 9,200 and Hannah's 5,000. He wagers 2,000 and gets the clue, one of the two nations known as perforated states as they completely surround another country. Carson responds, what is South Africa? Uh, That is correct. Ken says that's the tough one because it surrounds Lesotho. Uh, Italy surrounds Vatican City and San Marino. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't think it was necessarily tougher than yeah. Italy. If anything, I picture I, it was easier for me because you can really you can really picture South Africa surrounding a country yeah, because Lesotho is like, big enough. Yeah, it's a little circle in the middle. Yeah. 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 Like Vatican City and San Marino are so small, you don't really see them on a map normally. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it, it depends on sort of how you're 
learning your geographical information. Yeah. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Maureen is at 9,600. Carson is at 14,200. And Hannah is at uh, 13,400. And we get the final Jeopardy category, Famous Trials. And the clue, on her acquittal in 1893, a reporter cited nearby events two centuries earlier, saying the days of which trials are over. Maureen wrote, who is Lizzie Borden? And then laughed and said, I know that's not right. (laughs) Turns out it was correct. Uh, That is Lizzie Borden, Lizzie Borden's trial. And she wagered everything which again not not necessarily the most strategic wager but she doubled up Mm -hmm. hannah wrote who is charlotte cord uh probably going for charlotte corday um but that is incorrect she wagered twelve thousand six hundred one, and carson wrote who is adams also wagered twelve thousand six hundred and one. but those are both incorrect so maureen ends up winning her fourth game Mm mm-hmm And on Friday, we have the contestants Matt Glassman, a bar owner from Los Angeles, California, Laura Dara, a hotel assistant manager from Studio City, California, and Maureen O'Neill, an executive assistant from Rye Beach, New Hampshire, whose four-day cash winnings total 58200 And we have the Jeopardy round categories Artists, Bank C, with C in quotation marks, Munch, Bosch, uh spelled B-O-S-H here, Hopper, and Cezanne. Uh, That is two words, says, and Anne, like the name, but with an E in parentheses to encompass both spellings, I guess. Yeah, I I guess. Or also to to make sure that you don't think it can't be the right Anne because... Yeah. That's spelled with an E. I don't know. Yep. Uh, they they were really reaching for this theme, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think probably someone came up with the idea of Cezanne as a homophone for Cezanne, mm-hmm. and then they just worked backward from there. Yeah, that, that seems right. We had a tough pronunciation uh, miss in Cezanne at the 600. On film, Henry VIII asked her, Asked her, played by Natalie Portman, how do you propose to stay on the horse? Her reply, with my thighs. Uh, Laura rang in and said, who is Anne Boylan? Because uh, there is an E in Boylan. It's just after the L. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that that had to be incorrect because the, the pronunciation of boy adds a letter. Yes. You could tell that uh, Laura had was a... Um was an Anne of Green Gables fan from how she answered the $800 clue, uh, which was, but if you call me Anne, please call me Anne spelled with an E, says the title character in this novel, the first of a series. And she rang in and said, who is Anne Shirley? And then corrected herself to Anne of Green Gables. Anne Shirley is the full name of the character. Anne of Green Gables is the novel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I think of the full name of, of the character is something that you would probably only know if you'd uh, spent some time with the books. It's probably not yeah. something that you sort of pick up without reading it. I think, I as, don't know. As someone who has not spent time with the books, I can attest that you would not know that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Are you speaking for all people who have not read the end of Green Gables books? Yes, cool. because I'm qualified to. All right, great. Of course. Well, that that settled that. Okay, good. I'm glad. Uh, Daily Devil number one is in the artist's category at the $800 level. Uh, it's pick number 18, and Laura finds it. She's at 600 uh, behind Maureen's 1800 and Matt's 1000, and she makes it a true Daily Double for 600. Gets the clue, before executing an 1890s monument to Balzac, this sculptor got the late novelist's measurements from his former tailor. And she guesses who is Rodin, but that is correct. She doubles up to 1200. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Maureen is at 3000, Laura's at 3200, Matt's at 3400. Ken sends, couldn't get closer than that. And we have the Double Jeopardy categories, 17th Century Happenings, Ab Work, Britlet, Music of the 2000s, Here Be Lions, and Six Letter World Capitals. That, that Six Letter World Capitals gave them a lot of trouble. Oh, yeah. No, there was the, none of these were answered correctly on the first attempt, right? Right. And yeah. only the $400 clue was answered correctly. Yep. Yeah, six-letter world capitals is, um, I think that there's a lot to keep track of there, or specifically two things to keep track of, the six-letter part and the world capital part. There were some uh, not capitals guessed, mm -hmm. at least a couple times. Yeah, so at the $400 level, that's the one that we got correct. The clue there was Benjamin Lee Guinness was its Lord Mayor in the 1850s. Uh, and Matt guessed London. That's not correct. Dublin is the correct answer. Maureen got that one. The $800 level asked for the one that has Wenceslas Square. And uh, Matt tried Moscow. And Laura tried, did she say Krakow or Krakow? Yeah. Krakow is sort of the correct pronunciation. But, but that's still not the capital. Yeah. Warsaw's capital. Of right, Poland, that's right. Which is also six letters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, the correct response here would have been Prague, uh, the capital mm. of the Czech Republic. And then at the two thousand dollar level, uh, they were looking for the capital of Eritrea which has three A's, which are the only vowels, and Maureen tried what is Addis Ababa. Um, <laughs> it's a little more than six letters. <laughs> more than six letters has an I and is not the capital of Eritrea. Um, is the capital of Ethiopia, right? Or mm -hmm. no? Or yes? It is. Yes. It okay. Is. All right. I, I'm, I'm second guessing myself now. Like, I sympathize with them naming things that are major cities, but not capitals. Um, because I, I, did, I did a lot of work memorizing capitals, but still sometimes if I don't review them regularly, um, if there is kind of a, like a major metropolis um, or like very well-known city that is not the capital, sometimes I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get mixed up on that from time to time mm -hmm. on some of these. Um, but yeah, uh, Asmara is the capital of Eritrea. Um, Daily Double number two is in the Brit Lit category at the $1,200 level. And um, they just work their way down that category. 
and uh, Laura uncovers this one at the third pick. She has 4,000. Maureen and Matt are tied at 3,400 at this point. And Laura wagers 1,000 and gets the clue. Chapters in this H.G. Wells novel include In the Golden Age and The Sunset of Mankind. She tries what is War of the Worlds, which I thought was a reasonable guess. Yeah. Uh, But the correct response here is The Time Machine. Yeah. I thought The Sunset of Mankind, when I was thinking about it, that, that made me think, oh, you know, like... We're, you know, like threatened with extinction as a species because mm-hmm. of, you know, alien invasion. Like that was like that. That could that could work. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is back in that six letter world capitals uh, category. It's pick number 18 and Matt finds it. He's up to 9,000. Maureen is at negative 600. She has had had a rough go of it through this round. And Laura is at 7,400. And he wagers 2,500. Gets to clue, this European city is alphabetically last among world capitals. And he quickly answered, what is Zurich? Which, if you're just thinking about alphabetically last cities in Europe, yeah, Zurich makes sense. But... Zurich is not the capital of Switzerland. Bern is the capital of Switzerland. Right. And uh, they're looking for Zagreb, Croatia. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, um, it's just been a rough game for these contestants. We had a total of 36 correct answers across the two rounds. Oof. We left three clues on the board. So I guess that yeah. means 21 uh triple stumpers or missed daily doubles yeah that's a it's a tough tough game um yeah yeah um maureen finishes in the red at negative 2600 um she just kept trying to get back in there yeah which that's what she which is admirable and took some really decent guesses i thought um they just happen to be wrong yep (laughs) uh yeah um so she doesn't get to participate in Final Jeopardy. Uh, Laura finishes with 7,400, Matt with 6,900. And our Final Jeopardy category is symbols. And the clue is this U.S. politician asked for a multicolored pennant for a parade. Demand increased after his death in 1978. You definitely missed this one, no, right? No, I got I got this one. Um, I, yeah, I know yeah. it's a joke. We've talked about this on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, Um <laughs> So Matt got the rec- correct response with who is Harvey Milk, um, the multicolored pennant, uh, of course, being the gay pride flag. Uh, Matt has wagered 2000, um, which brings him up to 8900. Laura tried who is Truman. Um, that is not correct. And she has wagered everything, which is a reasonable wager in this circumstance. Could maybe go a little smaller to leave something on the board in case the other contestant wagers everything and you both miss. But she does need to wager almost everything to make a cover bet. So, you know, fair enough. Um, Anyway, that drops her down to zero. Uh, And so Matt will be our champion when we come back on Monday. That's right. Um, so this is the uh, the moment in the middle of the episode where we remind you that we have a Patreon. Uh, it's patreon.com slash potent potables. Uh, the income from that helps us to offset the costs of 
making this podcast and sending it out into the world. Um, if that's something that you have a few dollars a month to help us with, uh, we would greatly appreciate it. And we greatly appreciate those who already do. Uh, there's a little bit of content uh, behind the paywall on the Patreon. We try to get our quiz questions up there um, right after we record each week um, and put some other bonus stuff on there from time to time. So if that's something you're interested in, you can go check it out at patreon.com slash potent potables. Uh, we also like to acknowledge at this time that there are more important things in the world than um, our Patreon. Uh, a few that are especially dear to us are blacklivesmatter.com, communityjusticeexchange.org, the Stop AAPI Hate GoFundMe, and... Uh, greatly concerned about the situation in Ukraine. Um, we're pointing folks toward www.rescue.org if that's a place where you are able to contribute some funds. Um, yeah. So, Kyle, do you have deep dive guesses? Uh, I do. None of them feel particularly good to me, but okay. we'll try it out. Uh, are we talking about Jane Porter and Tarzan. We're not. I did look at that. Okay. Um, it's on the short list. Yeah. Uh, I know we've mentioned him a few times. Are we going to talk about John Nash? No. Okay. He was on Whoa. the long list. Okay. Are we going to talk about the Bahamas? No, we are not. Um, okay, what are we talking about? Uh, so, back in the So That's What They Looked Like category of the Wednesday game, uh, we had a missed daily double. Um, uh, we had a portrait of a, a little old lady. And then the clue, after a lifetime mm. of farming, this woman was nearly 80 when a collector bought 15 of her artworks in 1938. Uh, and that was Grandma Moses, um, which is a name that I knew, but I didn't actually know too much about her. And I thought, hey, let's uh, let's learn something about Grandma Moses. Great, yeah. That I yeah, I know her name, and that she was old. Yep. <laughs> and, and that's a, as much and as an artist. <laughs> that's that's that, pretty yeah. much what I had. Uh, and on Jeopardy, that was usually enough. On Jeopardy, to get me that's enough. Um, but uh, but yeah, I thought you know let's let's find out a little more about her. Um, so. Uh, Grandma Moses uh, was an American folk artist uh, called Grandma Moses because she started seriously painting uh, when she was already elderly at the age of 78. Her full name was not Grandma Moses. She was born Anna Mary Robertson, um, and she was born in Greenwich, New York, uh, which if you live where I live, Greenwich connotes kind of suburban affluence. Um, but this is this isn't Greenwich, Connecticut, it's Greenwich, New York. Uh, so upstate New York kind of farming country along the Vermont border. Um, and she was born on September 7th, 1860. She was the third of 10 children born to Margaret Shanahan Robertson and Russell King Robertson. Her father ran a flax mill and was a farmer. Uh, she briefly attended a one room school. Uh, it was not clear to me looking at like online resources, whether she had more formal education than that. Um, but the school that she attended is now the Bennington Museum in Vermont. Uh, and it holds the 
largest collection of her works in the U.S. Um, as a child, she had you know, interest in art. She started painting using lemon juice and grape juice to make colors, um, as well as ground ochre, grass, flower paste, slack lime, and sawdust. So she was, you know, being pretty resourceful as a kid, trying to um, trying to make art. At the age of 12, she left home um, and uh, worked doing farm chores for a wealthy neighboring family. Uh, she continued to keep house, cook, and sew for wealthy families for 15 years. Um, one of these families, the Whitesides, noticed her interest in their Courier and Ives prints that they had in their home, and they bought her chalk and wax crayons so that she could you know, pursue some art as a hobby. At the age of 27, she worked on the same farm with a hired man named Thomas Salmon Moses. And uh, the two fell in love, got married, established themselves near Staunton, Virginia, where they spent nearly two decades living and working in turn on five local farms. In 1901, um, so at this point, uh, she's 41 the couple bought a farm, uh, which is known as Mount Airy. Uh, they only lived there for two years. Um, I'm not sure where next. I think they stayed in Virginia for a while after that. Um, over their married life, they had 10 children, but five of those died in infancy. In 1905, they moved back to New York, settling in the town of Eagle Bridge, not too terribly far from where, uh, from where she had grown up. Uh, as a young wife and mother, uh, Grandma Moses was creative in her home. Um, she used house paint to paint a scene on the fireboard, the, which is like the kind of the covering that you put over um, the fireplace, like across the fireplace in the, in the warm months when you're not using it. And uh, there are accounts of sort of various other kind of creative hobbies that she that she did sort of, you know, uh, in her spare time earlier in her life. When Thomas Moses was about 67 years in 1927, he died of a heart attack, uh, after which oh. Anna's son Forrest helped her operate the farm. Uh, she never remarried. Um, and in 1936, she moved to a daughter's home to live with her. Uh, she was friends with Norman Rockwell, which I thought was Interesting. I hadn't heard cool. that. Uh, they lived just across the Vermont-New York border from each other, uh, starting in 1938 when the Rockwells moved to nearby. Um, and there's a there's a Norman Rockwell painting uh, called Christmas Homecoming, uh, which was printed on the Saturday Evening Post's uh, Christmas 1948 cover, where you can see Grandma Moses off in the corner. Hmm. She took up embroidery sort of later in her life around, uh, I guess she would have been like 70 or so. Uh, she made embroidered pictures for friends and family um, using yarn. By the age of 76, she had developed arthritis, which made embroidery painful. And her sister Celestia suggested that painting would be easier for her. This idea spurred her painting career starting in her late 70s. When her right hand would begin to hurt with arthritis, she would switch to her left hand. Um, and uh, when she spoke about herself taking up painting, she described it as uh, that she needed to do something, uh, quote, to keep busy and out of mischief. Uh, 
Um, she also told reporters that she turned to painting in order to create the postman's Christmas gift, seeing as it was easier to make a painting than to bake a cake over a hot stove. Um, so I uh, really agreed. No, like, what? I yeah i I found I, I thought those quotes were delightful, um, but also like it's, it's just so clear that it came naturally to her, you know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, she painted scenes of rural life from earlier days, which she called old-timey New England landscapes. Uh, She said that she would get an inspiration and start painting. Then I'll forget everything, everything except how things used to be and how to paint it so people will know how we used to live. Uh, She would omit features of modern life, things like tractors and telephone poles. Um, She was prolific. She generated more than 1,500 canvases over the course of three decades. Uh, She initially charged $3 to $5 per painting, depending on its size. During a visit to Husik Falls in 1938, Louis J. Caldor, an art collector who worked as an engineer in the state of New York, saw paintings made by Grandma Moses in the window of a drugstore. He bought their supply and then 10 more from her Eagle Bridge house for three or five dollars each. And the next year, three of her paintings were included in the New York, the New York Museum of Modern Art exhibition titled Contemporary Unknown American Painters. Her first solo exhibition uh, titled What a Farm Wife Painted opened in New York in October 1940 at Otto Callier's Gallery St. Etienne. A meet and greet with the artist and an exhibition of 50 of her paintings at Gimbel's department store was held about a month after that. Uh, and her third solo show in three months was held at the White Gallery in Washington, D.C. Uh, her paintings were exhibited throughout Europe and the United States over the next 20 years. Uh, During the 1950s, her exhibitions broke attendance records around the world. Her paintings were reproduced on Hallmark greeting cards, tiles, fabrics, and ceramics. Uh, They were also used in marketing uh, to promote products like coffee, lipstick, cigarettes, and cameras. President Truman presented her with the Women's National Press Club Trophy Award for Outstanding Accomplishment in Art in 1949. In 1950, the National Press Club cited her as one of the five most newsworthy women. Jerome Hill directed the 1950 documentary of her life, which was nominated for an Academy Award. In 1952, she published an autobiography, My Life's History. In it, she said, I look back on my life like a good day's work. It was done, and I feel satisfied with it. I was happy and contented. I knew nothing better and made the best out of what life offered. And life is what we make it. Always has been, always will be. Uh, And in 1955, she appeared as a guest on See It Now, uh, which was a television program hosted by Edward R. Murrow. Mm. Her 100th birthday was proclaimed Grandma Moses Day by New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller. Life magazine celebrated her birthday by featuring her on its September 19, 1960 cover. She died at the age of 101 on December 13th, 1961 uh, in Hoosick Falls, New York. And she's buried there at the Maple Grove Cemetery. After her death, her work continued to be exhibited in several large traveling exhibitions in the United States and abroad. Um, And so that's that's Grandma Moses. Um, Nice. Yeah. I thought it was fun to learn more about her. And I sort of I like her spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Every quote of hers is like, nice. Yeah. Cool. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so, are you ready for a quiz? Yeah, I hope so. All right. Uh, I think we're starting with the hardest one here, but I guess we'll see. Okay. So, uh, so this is a quiz about centenarians. Question one. Jean Calment is the only person verified to have lived over 120 years. She died in 1997 at the age of 122 years and 164 days. There's a fascina fascinating aspect of her life story. In 1965, at the age of 90, she had signed a contract with André-François Raffray. This contract entitled her to 2,500 francs per month for the remainder of her life and entitled him to what? Okay. Let me go back through some details here. Uh, okay. French. Mm-hmm. She was 90. I, I don't, I mean, I don't know that, I don't know the names, so that's going to, it's kind of like hard for me to determine what what it's asking about uh so i'm gonna say that i don't know i'm gonna go with her like after she died he could have her like her corpse like her body <laughs> i don't know <laughs> that is super morbid and i i, I appreciate the guess um her apartment uh is the correct answer so i think oh. the only way to know this would be to have encountered this as like a quirky like story um yeah that's really interesting yeah so apparently these kinds of contracts were not terribly unusual in france at the time um she owned an apartment in arles uh and they made this contract that that she would get like a you know like a like a stipend like a monthly stipend from him for however long she continued to live and then after she died, her apartment would be his, um, which seemed like a good deal to him when when she when she was when 90. she was a ninety year old. <laughs> Sucks for him, man. And, and she turned out to be the oldest person to ever live. Yeah, um, yeah. he died in nineteen ninety five. Oh, um, bummer, dude. <laughs> yes, and she continued to be entitled to payments from his family. Whoa, that's. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, by the time he died, he had paid her more than double the value of the apartment. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, she commented on the situation saying, in life, one sometimes makes bad deals. Um, <laughs> That's true. Yes. Um, yeah. So Jean Calment uh, is the uh, and uh, and Raffray are the two people in this in this uh, fascinating incident from history. Um, and uh, I encountered this. There was like a there was like a short story sort of imagining what the relationship between them was like in sort of both of their perspectives that I think was maybe like one of the best American collections. And that's how I encountered oh. this. Um, Interesting. But I just I just think it's a it's a fascinating sort of little anecdote yeah um yeah all right question two um a melchizedek holds 30 liters of wine and a balthazar holds 12 what is the name of the bottle that holds a mere six liters or eight standard bottles of wine of what uh i'm hoping you can work backwards from the weird question to the theme and yeah. get it from that yeah so so I don't I don't recognize the first term 
at all, but based on Balthazar and the way it sounded, I'm assuming these are biblical names. Mm -hmm. And since we're talking about old people, I'm just going to have to go with the Methuselah. It is the Methuselah. Yes. Yes. Uh, Methuselah was the oldest man in the Bible. Uh, He lived to 969 years. And uh, the enormous wine bottles are all almost all named after biblical figures. Balthazar is not actually a name in the Bible, I think, but is like by it's tradition. It's associated with the Magi, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep, that's right. Yes. Yeah, so um, if a wine bottle that holds like double a standard bottle is just a magnum and one that holds four standard bottles, three liters is a double magnum. Um, but then as you get above that, the, the first one is Jeroboam. Um, and they all have <laughs> like just absurd biblical names. Um, it's really funny. Yeah. The Nebuchadnezzar. Um, now that is cool yeah. to say I drank an entire Nebuchadnezzar of wine. <laughs> Please that do sounds not. impressive. Please do not drink a Nebuchadnezzar no, of wine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the Nebuchadnezzar. How much does a Nebuchadnezzar hold? 15 liters, 20 bottles. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. All the, That's all a lot the, of wine. <laughs> all the enormous wine bottles have biblical names. Um, and the Methuselah is the, is the one that's the equivalent of eight bottles. Um, all right. So, you are at... 10 points. Question three. The country with the highest median age is Monaco, and the country with the highest average life expectancy is Hong Kong. What other country has the highest rate of centenarians, with 0.06% of its population being 100 years or older? This this is a very interesting question. I don't know this fact, uh, but... I'm f- like, I, I'm I'm going back and forth. Like, is it just the U.S.? Is it is that it, or is it? <sighs> I don't have anything pointing me to anywhere in particular, so I'm just going to say the United States. Hmm. Okay, um, it is actually Japan. Um, really? Yeah, Japan has a super high life expectancy. Um, nice. Which is which is great, good for them, you know, very yeah. <laughs> healthy habits and whatever. Um, so they they have had a a low birth rate subsequent to the post war baby boom, uh, and that combination of factors makes Japan a super aging society, um, mm-hmm. to the point that there's like a whole bunch of like government policies trying to deal with like impending like drastic sort of. Uh, decrease of the population that's going to be like a like a societal issue yeah the the super aging society like aging of japan problem is a really interesting kind of uh demographic and like policy thing yeah Yeah. Hmm. um so i made this quiz harder than i meant to and question Four. (laughs) Uh, This centenarian was born in what is now Belarus in 1888 and died in New York in 1989, having become a major contributor to the Great American Songbook. What composer and lyricist brought us songs like Puttin' on the Ritz, White Christmas, and God Bless America? Mm. 
Well, that, man, it would be embarrassing if I have this wrong in my head. Pretty sure that's Irving Berlin. It is Irving Berlin. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good. Woo. All right. You're at 20 points. And question five. The world was a bit premature in celebrating this not-quite-centenarian's 100th birthday. A magazine cover announced her impending 100th birthday on December 29, 2021. Sadly, she died a couple days after that, on December 31st. What pioneering actress and comedian would have turned 100 on January 17th, 2022? Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure. I I think that's... uh... I think that's Betty White. It is Betty White. Rest Aww. in peace. Um, I don't have anything fun other and than, fun like, other yeah. than like respect. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Well, you are at thirty points, um, and we're gonna call our last category politicians. Great. Uh, let's. I'm only at thirty. Let's do all of it. All right. For 60 points, the only person to ever serve as a U.S. US senator at the age of 100 is this one, who served in that capacity from 1954 to 2003, amassing a resume as problematic as it was long. Is that the whole question? <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the whole question. Okay. From, from South Carolina, I will add. Sure, yeah. The, the, way it's, uh, the way it's worded, it sounds like he was 100 from 1950s until, oh. <laughs> until he died, which was probably true because Strom Thurmond was extremely old for his entire life. <laughs> he was. <laughs> Strom Thurmond was extremely old for his entire life. Uh, yeah, Strom Thurmond is correct. Yeah, that's, that's all I have to say about him. Um, that's all that should be said. Yep. It was it was a milestone. He was 100 uh, when he died, uh, when he mm-hmm. when he when he finished serving as a senator. I think mm-hmm. he might have. Did he die when he was 100? I can't remember. Anyway, I don't remember. Yeah. All right. Well, you finish with 60 points, despite Yay. my weird niche <laughs> questions. That's all right. <laughs> you would not believe how much we talk about the aging of Japan in my house. <laughs> um, You're correct. I would not believe that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, this was, this was delightful as always, Kyle. Uh, so thank you. Um, and thank you listeners for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating or review if you would be so kind. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash And if you have friends who watch Jeopardy, let them know about this podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com and our website is potentpod.com. That's right. We'll be back with you next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. <laughs> <laughs>